0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, JOY. Keep JOY on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. JOY, a diverse sound for a diverse community.
1: Welcome to a JOYcast from JOY94.9. Visit
2: joy.org.au to find out more about our JOYcasts. Welcome to the Rainbow Report, news, opinion, current affairs for the Rainbow community from Joy 94.9, Australia's only full-time gay and lesbian radio station. And now your host, Doug Doug Pollard.
1: And yeah, thanks to Chris and Cam for The Drive Factory. Good evening and welcome. Yes, this is the Rainbow Report on Joy 94.9. A special welcome tonight to listeners across Australia on Star Observer Digital Pop-Up Radio, available now from the 2SER website. That's all the W's, 2 com slash Star Observer Digital. Hello, Sydney. Nice to have you aboard. Of course, we've had shows about action before, but we're talking about... Action in another sense tonight. As the political scene hots up, all kinds of actions multiply. Greens leader Christine Milne sprang a couple of surprises this week. She got a gay divorce from Julia Gillard and she announced she'd be marching with her gay son Tom in Mardi Gras under the P flag banner. She joins us a little later in the show. People like Brisbane, meanwhile, had a win when the new president met Sharon Mullins, the executive director of state schooling operations there, to tell her about bullying of LGBT students by staff and students in Queensland schools. Again, we'll get that story later. And once again, a major state government initiative here in Melbourne kicks off, and of course they forgot to include LGBTI. The Victoria Police and the state government launched something called Go4Zero, and I quote from the press release, which aims to give a public voice to our shared rejection of violence in any form, and violence against women in particular. Anyway, I searched around on the website, and there's no mention of GLBTI anywhere. The state government say that's because it's aimed at all violence, not any particular group, and the police aren't saying anything. Greg Adkins of the Anti-Violence Project says, It's not good enough. And first up tonight, Alex Greenwich moved a motion in the New South Wales Parliament this week, condemning Christian lobby attacks on our community. He's also busy with his marriage bill in that Parliament. Australian Marriage Equality, meanwhile, is asking people to send in a petition for us interstate residents to write to that parliamentary marriage inquiry there, because at the moment the bill doesn't include interstate people being able to get same-sex married in New South Wales. We'll get more on that from Alex. Rod Swift is in the studio to lend us a hand this evening. Good evening, Doug. And, of course, we also welcome your contributions. And, as I say, this is Doug Pollard, aided and abetted by Rod Swift, here on Joy 94.9. Our first guest today has been busy on our behalf for a number of years. Now he's in the New South Wales Parliament with a marriage bill to look after, and he also put up a motion condemning the Christian lobby. He's, of course, state... New South Wales MP Alex Greenwich, Good evening, Alex.
2: Good evening, Doug and Rod. I've missed you guys. It's <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> been Alex. a while.
1: It's been a while. So first off, um this motion you brought up having a go at the Christians. What happened to that?
2: Well, I-, I thought it was appropriate to introduce this motion because for far too long the Christian Lobby has been able to get away with with quite damaging attacks on our community, and I wanted to to voice their alarmism and their extremism uh, to my parliamentary colleague. Uh, when a vote on my motion will be, I'm not 100% sure. But mm-hmm. what I do know is that a number of coalition MPs that have come into my office and expressed support for it um, and expressed concerns that there is a group purporting to represent Christians uh, who engage in the such, such extreme and alarming language directed at our community.
1: Yes, and of course they don't represent all Christians, and this is something we must always bear in mind. We're not... We're not against Christians; only certain Christians, or certain—shall we put air quotes around the word Christians—in this case.
2: Well, exactly, and, and I made that clear also in my motion that uh, that you know this is a group that misrepresents the Christian community and the Christian community who values fairness, love, and equality. Some of the best advocates for marriage equality are clergy and people of faith, and um, and, and I always uh, am thankful for their support.
1: Rod Swifts.
0: Yeah, Alex, one of the things that I've always liked when viewing the Australian Christian lobby's pronouncements about ourselves is their immediate jump to hysteria. I think everyone can agree with that. Um, Some of the historical statements and hysterical statements have been things like comparing us to Nazis and comparing us that being gay is more dangerous than smoking, and they claim that there's scientific facts behind some of these Mm -hmm. claims. Isn't it just laughable that people actually lap this up and believe it?
2: And I think what, what I think what is encouraging is that people are increasingly not believing it. They're increasingly rejecting yeah. it. Um, and that's not just people in the general public. That's people in parliament. I mean, Jim Wallace must know that his credibility has taken a massive hit in federal and state parliaments across the country.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, just got a message in here. This is from Dean, actually. He says, by the way, uh, in your photograph of you in your office... I know you, what Dean's going to ...you've say got your rainbow fixed. flag upside down. I,
2: you know, <laughs> the, the, the parliamentary carpenter did hang it upside down. I have had that fixed and reversed. <laughs> and I was wanting to give that message tonight, but Dean obviously beat me to it, so it has been fixed. I'll tweet it on a little bit later. Oh, before. great.
0: Okay, because he said he wanted to know if you were in distress because you were flying it upside down. Because that is the international sign of distress, any flag <laughs> flown upside down. <laughs> Mind you, some of the Christian lobby comments are distressing.
1: Uh, dear. Now, now, let's get on to the, to the, to the marriage bill, the uh, same-sex marriage bill that's um, uh, in the New South Wales Parliament. Australian Marriage Equality are putting up this petition saying that we in other states ought to be writing to the New South Wales Parliamentary Inquiry on it because it wouldn't apply to people from other states. In other words, there'd be a residency requirement. How, how does that come about?
2: Well, yes, yeah, so I believe what White Australian Marriage Quality is doing is, is encouraging interstate couples who would want to get married in, in New South Wales to make submissions to the inquiry about that. Uh, the bill that we have from the parliamentary draft is, does, does have a residency requirement in it, um, and that will obviously be reviewed in the parliamentary inquiry that's going into the bill at the moment. Um, as to whether that, 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 that so, should or shouldn't be there. So
1: so where did that come from? Because obviously that's not something you would have wanted there, I would have thought.
2: Yeah, well, th- th- this came in the drafting of the bill. Um, it was there um, with, uh, I believe, a thought that it actually makes the, the bill, or it could make the bill uh, constitutionally stronger, particularly when it comes to ah. the dissolution of property. Um, and should a, should a couple... Should someone, you know, the ability to, to dissolve your relationship if you're not from New South Wales? Um, and there were there are a number of questions around that, which I hope, which will be thrashed out and, and explored during the inquiry.
1: Yeah, because we've heard lots of talk back and forth about whether a state-based marriage bill would be valid or not. I suppose if it was confined to residents, that that might be an attempt to kind of short-circuit any of those questions. Well,
2: I, I think whether or not that's the case, we just need to find that out, and the inquiry allows that opportunity to, to, to occur.
1: It'd be very sad if it stays in there. I mean, think of all those Harbour Bridge weddings that then will not happen. You know. Well,
2: exactly. You know, I, I, I'm obviously someone who married overseas, so I would, I would love, um, everybody to be able to come to Sydney and, and get married. It's a wonderful electorate. They have a great member. Um, <laughs> and, um however, you know, the main thing is getting the bill through both Houses of Parliament. Uh, and to do that, and, and, to have it withhold a High Court challenge, should a residency requirement need to be in there, then, then obviously I support that. Ideally, you know, I, I would prefer it not but
0: we yeah. just have to see how this all plays out. Right. Um, and this is only a question for you about the technical uh, nature of that residency requirement, Alex, but, um, and I haven't seen the bill and I haven't seen some media reports, uh, but does the resi- rec- residency requirement require both people to be residents of New South Wales or merely just one person? Because that could uh-huh. also be an interesting question.
2: Yeah, it is
0: just one person. Yeah, and of course the other question is, there's so many border locations, for example, Queenbein in New South Wales and, and say, Albury-Wodonga, where you got, and, and of course, bordering on Queensland too, uh, where you've got people that live literally, one side of the street is another state. Um, mm. You know, have those sort of situations uh, <laughs> taken where people might think, oh, well, we'll just move into state for a couple of days slash weeks slash months <laughs> to get, get access to this law?
2: Yeah, well, there's, there's that process of being considered ordinarily a, a resident. Mm. Um, but again, you know, the inquiry will thrash out all these issues.
1: Yeah. I, I just wanted to ask you something completely out of this particular um, sphere and just ask you in general, you, you've had time now, you've been in Parliament a little while, you've had time to get your feet under the table, so to speak. How are you finding being an MP? Is it a frustrating business or are you enjoying it? You know, is it, is it what you expected?
2: What's the dark side like? Is that what your question is? Yeah, something like um, that. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's actually a wonderful opportunity I have. I mean, during my time uh, as National Convener of Australian Marriage Equality, I really fell in love with advocacy and campaigning. Uh, and now I get to continue to do that on marriage equality as a state member, but also get to do that on other issues that are important to me, like protecting public housing. Tonight I'm at a meeting to protect public housing in Millers Point, but also my concerns around the environment. Um, and a number of other areas of legislation which are concerning in New South Wales, like, uh, like hunting in national parks, for example.
1: So it's basically stretching you, if I, say, if I can put it like that. You're having to get your head around an awful lot of new things.
2: Yeah, exactly, and I'm really enjoying that process of, of learning and understanding and understanding the, 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 the political process and how best I can use that to facilitate things important for the gay, and lesbian community, the LGBTI community, as well as the Sydney electorate.
1: Do the uh, sort of somewhat arcane procedures of Parliament sort of uh, annoy you, or or, or or do you like all that ritual?
2: No, I don't like that 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 all that ritual. Some of it's obviously very important. What sometimes does uh, distress me is the waste of time that goes on, the personal point scoring, and, and political jabs. That's something which I'm going to stay above. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, to see, for example, when, when Coalition and op- and, and Labour MPs get handed the questions they're going to ask. Mm. Um, uh, you know, being able to ask a question in a parliament is something that's really, really important. Um, and you should be doing that on behalf of your electorate and your constituents, not for political point scoring.
1: Yeah, good old Dorothy Dix is a eh? big waste of time. But um, th- then they eat up the time that could be spent on genuine questions too.
2: Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Okay, well, Alex, um, thanks for that. And, thanks so much, sir. Uh, I'm glad you're enjoying your life up there as a as an MP. I am, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with these state marriage bills. It's, okay. it's yeah, and I
2: think it's I think it's really encouraging times for them, and I, I think generally it's really encouraging times for marriage equality. And, and Rodney Croom is doing an awesome job taking the campaign to the next level.
1: Um, on another note, too, uh, I don't know if you've seen um, the. Uh, the uh, committee recommendations are out from the uh, about the federal anti-discrimination bill, and mm-hmm. uh, they seem to have gone uh, completely against keeping religious exemptions, which is very encouraging.
2: Mm, absolutely, you and know, know, Chris ca- Crossan, who is the chair of of the the legal and constitutional affairs committee, is someone who has been a strong advocate for our community within mm. the Labor Party for a very long time.
1: Yep. Okay. Well, Alex, I'll let you get go now, and um, thanks so much, guys. We shall uh, speak again soon.
2: Talk
1: soon. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Thanks, Alex. That was. uh Alex Greenwich there, the independent member of the New South Wales Parliament for Sydney. You're listening to Doug Pollard's Rainbow Report on Joy 94.9. Next up, PFLAG Brisbane went to see the Queensland Education Department about homophobic bullying in schools. Their new president will join us to tell us what happens next.
2: The Rainbow Report. News, opinion and current affairs for the Rainbow community.
1: Well, PFLAG is making news for all the right reasons at the moment. Recently, the Greens leader, Christine Milne, announced she would be marching under their banner at Mardi Gras alongside her gay son. And we'll be talking to Christine later in the show. But uh, in our first PFLAG story tonight, the newly installed president of PFLAG Brisbane had something of a win when she met with Queensland's executive director of state schooling. That's a mouthful of a title. To tell her about homophobic bullying in state schools. Donna Goddard joins us on the line now. Good evening, Donna. Hi Doug, how are you? I'm going well, thank you. Now, first off, you've taken over from Shelley Argent in Brisbane, but Shelley's staying on as national spokesperson, is that right?
3: That's correct. I've taken over, the, over as a uh, people like Brisbane president, and Shelley still is our national spokesperson.
1: You've uh, kind of fallen in at the deep end, haven't you, really, with this? Well,
3: I think so. I've got some big shoes to fill, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> indeed you have. <laughs> Tell us about what happened. First of all, why did you want to go and see the uh, Department of Education about homophobic bullying were you hearing lots of stories
3: yeah initially it started um, from my own experience with my actually my um, straight daughter um, who was bullied on behalf of her her brother um, and also for sticking up for a friend that was outed um, at school and when I approached the school um, on her behalf many many times I really didn't get anywhere at all Um, at, at times, the, the teachers were sympathetic um, and, and other times they, they weren't. That sort of led me then into just the whole subject and I started blogging online and I got lots of kids around the world sort of following me and telling me their stories, which mm-hmm. just it broke my heart. Leading into PFLAG then, as sort of I got involved in the committee and, and taking over the presidency, there are a couple of us that are quite keen on this subject and, and, and about doing something We were then approached by a PFLAG member who had a specific example of her daughter um, in a religious school here in Queensland and um, she was going through sort of the whole anti-discrimination piece with them. So we all together and decided we would approach the Department of Education to see what what we could change.
1: And you you actually got quite a, a, well it seems to me on paper anyway, to be quite a reasonable response from them.
3: Look, we. Uh, what I would say is, we didn't get what we wanted, but we got more than we thought we would get. So, we did feel like it was a win. We got a commitment to including um, information about their homophobic bullying in a number of their sort of packages and uh, the No Way Bullying site, which they, which Queensland runs apparently for the for the national mm-hmm. um, spectrum. The uh, learning and wellbeing uh, package and the restart package for for teachers. And um, we think that's a, a good win, but it's it's not as far as we want to go. We want to see policies, specific policies about homophobic and transphobic bullying in Queensland schools to align with other states that have um, similar sorts of policies.
0: Yeah, Rod Swift wants to come in here and say a few words. Um, good evening, Donna. Um, I can speak from a West Australian experience from around about eight or nine years ago, and I want to... Sort of pitch this question in regards to the culture out there. One of the things that we had that the West Australian government at the time had, of oh, Department of Education, had a lot of resistance to, is that there was no policy. And you mentioned that policy development would be a really good idea in this area, and that led to this culture inside schools from principals and teachers that they felt they couldn't tackle bullying because they might fear a backlash from uh, parents uh, of other students who might think that they're promoting homo- homosexuality. Do you think that was one of the areas that's, uh, or, or the reasons why we need policy and strong policy from, from government departments?
3: Absolutely. Um, in my experience with the teachers that I spoke to, uh, what, some of their concerns were A, uh, the comments that I got were A, we're not trained to deal with this, mm-hmm. we don't know how to respond to this um, and and in sort of confidential conversations with some of the principals and teachers that I spoke to, they more or less said to me that they were concerned about backlash from the PNC and specifically that some of the children involved in my case were uh, leaders of the PNC <laughs>
1: the the sorry the pnc
3: uh parents, parents and, uh, yeah. and community i think
1: yeah. uh, oh i see so it's it's like sort of school council kind of thing
3: exactly yeah so the the parent body that looks at, you know that looks at school um right processes and
1: yeah yeah they've got different names in every state and sometimes even in the p and f <laughs> p and c but yes
3: exactly <laughs> I, g- yeah. I
1: i i get what you mean fe- i get what you mean yeah that that must make like, the, the situation very difficult when because that body would be ob- obviously one of the places you'd want to go to, to to have this matter dealt with
3: absolutely and uh and i was sort of more or less encouraged not to do that
1: that's very dispiriting. Anyway, but the rest of the story is pretty good. Uh, James has messaged in. He says he loves these good news stories when things get done. P is one of the key reasons we've done well in uh, increasing our rights, and I think that's, that's very true. Now, the um, the other thing that uh, this lady you spoke to, Mrs Mullins, I think her name was, she said she would talk to the Human Resources Department in the Department of Education um, about ensuring teachers don't bully students for any reason. You had instances of teachers actually doing the bullying?
3: We we did. Um, we had instances and examples that we gave to the Department of Education. Um, in some cases, they were a religious schools um, so or private schools, uh, which they pointed out, and quite rightly so, that they don't have um, control over. But we feel like if the Department of Education, at a state level, is making these changes, it puts a lot more pressure on the private schools. In addition to that, we also had specific examples um, in a state scenario, and and one person, one young person, um, in her story to me specifically said, the line something along the lines of, although I got bullied by my peers, it was the it was the bullying. From teachers that truly impacted my life, sure. And I think that 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 comment stirred some emotion in them, and they started to uh, and and really started to understand that teachers are not just uh, are sometimes part of the problem. And I don't want to flag off teachers because we, we think teachers do a fantastic job. What we want is the teachers to be trained, and and so that they can respond appropriately, and they know what to say and what to do in these um, when these kinds of uh, bullying things happen
1: yeah now that's that sounds like one of the encouraging things that came out of this was then that you're going to set up a working group um, along with other queensland organizations to develop some of this material to train teachers
3: absolutely um, open doors are already working in this sort of space here in queensland they're a youth service provider for lgbt youth here the only one in queensland they're doing a fantastic job and they already do provide in-service um training for teachers however it's on a school by school basis and they sort of get in like through the school nurses and that sort of thing so it's not you know it's not pushed out globally it's it depends on whether it's left up to each individual school to 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 act as they see fit. And we don't think that that's, that's good enough. We want to see it across the board and we want to see it pushed out from the Department of Education.
0: Yeah, Rod. Right. So I was going to say in summary, Donna, you'd, you'd think that the the best way forward here is to empower school teachers and principals so that if they take action against bullying and, and help stop that pressure cooker environment for our kids in schools that they're going to be backed up by the department that they're not going to be you know crossing a line or feel that they might need to fear their particular behaviours you think that's a real key element of making sure this problem goes away is by empowering teachers and principals to say enough is enough here's a line in the sand that bullying is wrong
3: absolutely and we feel like the way to empower those teachers is through in-service training and education and also through policies pushed out from the Department of Education
1: Yeah, because there's been a problem down here in the past in in Victoria where um, you know we've been trying to get anti-bullying programs into a lot of the schools here and the reaction in a lot of cases from some schools originally at any any rate was but we don't have any gay pupils The vacuum, yeah (laughs) You know, And well, the reason you don't have any, you do but they don't (laughs) tell you because they get bullied if they come out (laughs)
3: <laughs> absolutely and in some cases um the thing one of the examples that i had was actually from a young um a young chap that hadn't come out um but but the students were were sort of suggesting that he was gay and you know and he had a, a lot of uh, a lot of trouble with that sort of thing and uh, you know who i don't know I, I i don't know he certainly hadn't come out as gay so It's not just necessarily the LGBT kids, it's also people like my daughter and and other kids and even children of gay parents and those sort of things. It affects a wider range of people Mm. than than perhaps is widely understood. Yes, and
1: of course it also affects children who are thought to be gay, even if they're not. Exactly. Exactly. If they get a reputation as, and that's that's probably even harder to deal with for them.
3: And in some of those cases, they may just be struggling with the whole internal homophobia that they're going through themselves, um, and, and and they're struggling with it themselves. And so, having that bullying happening at that particular moment in time is not good for them. If they are sort of, you know, heading debt, or if the, if their um, sexuality is sort of. Uh, Questioning along those lines.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, we've we've all heard stories of the kids who are so afraid of being thought to be gay that they turn into bullies themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Absolutely. And and also I have spoken to people that have said to me, I went in and apologized. To, you know, I, I ended up coming out as gay five years later after I bullied this person, and I've gone back and apologized to them. And all I can say is I'm sorry, but I know what damage I did to them.
1: Mm.
3: And that's, that's really sad.
1: It, it, it is. It is. So you're going to keep a close eye on what the Department of Education do now, presumably, to make sure that they follow through on this.
3: Absolutely. And we are keen to get a focus group going, and we have had um, a number of people interested in that. So uh, we'll, we'll get that going and get a combined voice, and I think it's important to do that, because uh, if we're all trying to sort of speak uh, individually, I don't think it's as powerful.
1: No. (laughs) It's never as powerful. when there's only one voice. You've got to have everybody in there. You've got to have everybody in there. Well, it sounds like you've really sort of got your feet under the table in very short order there, and it sounds like you're making an impact already. So congratulations on that.
3: Thank you so much. I hope so.
1: Um, How many people have you got in your NP-Flag Brisbane? It's always been a pretty active group, isn't it?
3: We are we are quite an active group, and um, and that has been for some time now. It's it's a little bit hard with membership because people sort of come and go. I think we have somewhere around seventy people on our list at the moment. Um, our meetings may be anywhere from ten to fifteen people, up to sort of twenty five or thirty.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, long may you reign. And thank I, as you. I say, I think I think you are filling the shoes very nicely, Donna. Thank you for joining us tonight.
3: I appreciate it very much.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. That's uh, Donna Goddard there. She's the new president of P Flag Brisbane. With some good news there. She's managing to get the Department of Education in Queensland into line already. You're listening to the Rainbow Report on Joy 94.9. My name's Doug Pollard. Assisted tonight by Rod Swift.
2: The Rainbow Report. News, opinion and current affairs for the rainbow community.
1: Before we go to our next guest, a lovely message coming from Mun Chow. He says, I'm new in Melbourne studying. He's found joy. I'm so glad I'm here in Cambodia. It's not safe being gay. Thank you, Joy. Well, that's always very good to hear. Now, my next guest has uh, hardly been out of the news since she announced uh, what I've been jokingly calling Australia's first same-sex divorce a political divorce that is Christine Milne leader of the Green Party has broken up with Prime Minister Julia Gillard and she joins us on the line now good evening Christine good evening and welcome to the show thank you um, but really what I wanted to talk to you about was uh, the story that came out earlier this week. You're going to march in Mardi Gras this year.
4: Yes, and I'm very excited about it. I've been to Mardi Gras a few times, but um, unfortunately I'm fairly short and I've always ended in, up in the middle of the park and I just sort of see the top of the floats go by and I've never <laughs> been able to really observe the parade, so I'm really looking forward to actually being part of it.
1: And you're actually joining with P Flag, which is great.
4: Yeah. Look I'm I'm really keen to do that. And you know, I was a teacher on the northwest coast of Tasmania in the late seventies and early nineteen eighties and uh, you know, I saw the, the way that, uh, some of the young people in the, in the schools and on the streets, um, were treated at that time. And interestingly, uh, Rodney Croom was in my grade 10 class at <laughs> Devonport High School. So you see, the stuff that goes... Had connections with interesting people. Uh, that have gone back a long way, and so
1: I'll have to get you to talk about that off air sometimes, <laughs> and probably tell me some wonderful stories.
4: And, uh, and then last year I went up to Toowoomba to do Q and A, and there was uh, an amazing young person in the audience who stood up, and he was absolutely shaking. And I, uh, part of that is nervousness, of course, that Boys. being on national television, but was actually more than that. And it was a young um, gay man saying, look, um, it's really hard to to be gay in Queensland. And I just thought, you know, it's really important that uh, parents and opinion leaders and uh, people with a profile in public life stand up and say, hey, come on, you know, you're supported. We think that uh, you're terrific, and uh, we want to end discrimination, and we embrace you. And I, th- I think so. I decided then that I needed to get with uh, the parents yep. to be able to sort of send that message.
1: Well, being parent of a gay son yourself,
4: that's exactly right. So. Um, I just wanted to be there in solidarity and also, you know, hope and encouragement to people.
1: Indeed. Well, we've just been hearing from the new president of PFLAG Brisbane about how they're trying to tackle school bullying uh, in that state, and it's obviously still quite a problem. so good on you for uh, standing up for the kids. I think it's one of the most important things we need to do is to protect our kids. And they are. We know they're very vulnerable. We know there's high suicide rates and uh, and all that kind of terrible thing because of the bullying. So I think the more people like you do sort of get up and, and uh, do things like this, the better. Uh, I wanted to move on a little bit and ask you about the situation regarding equal marriage that we have at the moment. There's, the, 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 the issue seems to have gone very quiet at the moment. Can you see it becoming an election issue, for example?
4: Well, I think we have to make it an election issue. Um, the reason it's gone quiet is uh, a calculated one, and that is uh, the Prime Minister was desperate to get it off the agenda last year. And uh, so, indeed, were the Conservatives. And so, you know, when you go back to the history of it, there was a fantastic community campaign, overwhelming support for marriage equality, overwhelming support for getting rid of discrimination. And so along came the religious right with the C- Christian ah. lobby. Mm. And they set up that uh, that uh, meeting just before the ALP National Conference where Joe De Bruin from the... Uh, The Shoppies Union, on the national executive of the ALP, went and gave a speech and said to them, look, the way to head this off at the ALP National Conference is to get the Prime Minister to come out and and put a position which will force some people in the ALP who would have supported marriage equality not to do so, and that's exactly what happened. Then when we kept the campaign going, the Greens introduced our bill, there was a lot of momentum around it, uh, and we weren't going to bring it on for a vote because we wanted the momentum to keep on building until we were confident we could get it through. And so Labor then cynically organised uh, backbench bills from in both the Senate mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. House of Reps to force it to a vote, to vote it down. That was the history of it. So it was a cynical ploy from both the majors to try and kill the issue ahead of a federal election. But we've got our bill in there and it's just a matter of the community revving up again because uh, I think we should make it an election issue yeah. because it's unacceptable. I
0: think it is. Rod Swift. Uh, Christine, uh, uh, moving on from, the obviously, the Joe De Bruin and the uh, National Conference of the Labor Party, um, didn't it also backfire a bit for both sides of politics when it finally came up for a vote in the Senate? Because, of course, we had the wonderful speeches from people like... Corey Bernardi, who I think would have, you'd Ah. have to agree, would have to put his foot in his his mouth, then shot his foot and therefore his brain out too at the (laughs) same time. And how does that make you feel as a mother of a a gay man uh, when you go into Parliament and hear somebody say such toxic things about somebody that you are the mother of?
4: Uh, Well, basically, I just think ignorance is bliss for those people. They're just ignorant and it's embarrassing for them. Uh, Of course, it makes me uh, angry and... uh, as it does any decent uh, you know, person to hear someone bring such bigoted views and, and bring them to the Parliament and think that he's number one on the Senate ticket in South Australia for the Liberals and you just think, what is going on? Especially with this week he's hosting Gert Wilders, who's in Australia mm. with his extreme right-wing oh. views as well. Yes. So nothing has changed for Corey Bernardi. He is of the extreme far right in the most uh, bigoted sense. But anyway, uh, that's... That's what the Liberals have chosen to stand for, and I think that's one of the reasons why we need to make this an election issue, because decent people in the community can see that that is just unacceptable behaviour.
1: Yeah, we we were hearing earlier on, we were talking to Alex Greenwich earlier on, and he said that um, because of a lot of the things that went on during the marriage bills uh, and because of a lot of the stuff that came out of the woodwork, so to speak, particularly from the Christian lobbies and their supporters that uh, people like Jim Wallace in the Christian Lobby had actually lost a great deal of support in Parliament. Do you think that's true?
4: Um, well, I would like to say... Th- I hope it is true, um, and maybe Alex knows more than I do on that front, but I'm fully aware of the power of uh, Jim Wallace via the Shoppies Union and Joe DeBruyne and the National Executive of the ALP, and as long as that is the case... There is no way that the prime minister will be changing her mind, mm. um, and of course Tony Abbott is just long to- long time on the wrong side of history. So the <laughs> pair of them are yeah. there. But uh, let's see. I mean, the thing is, what people don't realise about the Christian lobby is that they're a private company. They mm. don't. They're not connected to any no. any Christian church. They're a private company, and what they never will say is who actually funds them. And I think that's something that every time they're reported in the paper as if they are representing churches, people need to write in or ring up and say who funds them because that really is where they're vulnerable.
1: Yes, and you is. can't find out, can you? Because they don't no, put, they don't put proper accounts in and then they don't have to, which I found very frustrating when I was trying to research them. Uh, but anyway, um, just got a lovely message in here from Harry, who describes himself as a truck driver, and he says it's bloody great we have straight allies like Christine and
0: that P flag Sheila. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got a fan there. Ah,
4: oh, it's great.
0: And Christine, just another quick question. Again, it comes back to the Australian Christian lobby and the waning of their influence in uh, in politics. I think in Canberra now, the committee, the Senate Legal and Constitutional Affairs Committee's report into the Human Rights uh, Consolidation a Draft Bill came out today and one of the recommendations in uh, Recommendations 11 and 12 talked about actually narrowing the focus of religious groups' ability to discriminate not just in aged care, but in any area of public service delivery. Do you think that's actually a bit of a win for that committee and that it's actually a really good step forward?
4: Well, I think so. And I think um, uh, Tasmania, of course, moved on this some time ago. In it's 1998.
1: I couldn't believe it's taken the rest of the world long, so long to catch up.
4: Well, you know, it's quite extraordinary because the, world, the sky was going to fall in down here too. And, uh, you know, um, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, it was my private members bill in 1997 that secured... Gay law reform in Tasmania. At that time, you could be jailed for 21 years for being homosexual in Tasmania. And uh, as part of the minority government, I, I was in balance of power, and I used my in my balance of power then to force uh, to force this through. And so we got we went from the worst laws in the country to the best. And I'm really proud of that. And then that was built on successively uh, by yeah. future governments. And now Tasmania has uh, really. Uh, It's transformed the state. It's actually really quite exciting to see how you can, by legal change, force substantial um, social Social change change. and and broad um, tolerance. And so I just point to Tasmania when people say, "Oh, this will be terrible. This will happen. That'll happen." I go, "Well, actually, (laughs) no. Look, it hasn't. Sky hasn't fallen in in Tasmania."
1: No. one, one other thing I just wanted to put to you, that, that I was highly amused yesterday, I was watching the TV news and Anthony, Anthony Albanese came on and accused the Greens of behaving like a political party instead of a party of principle. <laughs> Do they <laughs> now, have any left? I seem to remember some while ago that you were accused of being the opposite, of accused of sticking too much to your principles and not being prepared to compromise and not <laughs> being political enough. Um, which are you?
4: <laughs> well, let me tell you, I'm a I'm a part, I belong to a party of principles, and I'll stand up for them. And that's what they can't stand. I can tell you, they the Labor Party hates it because, actually, when we stand up and and take a stand, they know that that's actually what they would quite like to have done themselves. But they don't have the courage to do it anymore because they they keep going on their polling, and they'll think they'll lose votes here or lose votes there. And so they actually are just so driven by a sort of populist where they think they can get votes that they're actually quite jealous, I think, of people who actually stand up and say, no, we're just not going to vote for that. And a case in point was, of course, the... Uh the debate on asylum seekers last year when mm. we stood our ground were abused as you suggested by no. everyone saying you know they're, they're standing on principle they need to get pragmatic and the like well of course since then um, <laughs> what we said has been shown to be to be absolutely true and the world can see that the, what they all voted for was a complete debacle
1: yeah and now, now they're accusing you of being <laughs> political and not principled i find it i find it absolutely hilarious but anyway good luck with uh, the coming year Thank you. You have certainly raised your profile by having your public spat with Julia, and I think that can only do you good. And we'll see where it goes to. And also, thank you very much for joining us tonight on The Rainbow Report.
4: Well, thank you very much, and I'm really looking forward to being on the P Flag float at Mardi Gras, so I want to give everyone a big
1: wave. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll wear some very high heels. <laughs> then you'll be able to see over a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> Just just so long as you don't get mistaken for a drag queen, you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. That was Christine Milne there, the leader of the Greens Party. You're listening to Doug Pollard's Rainbow Report on Joy 94.9. Next up, when the Victorian government launched their anti violence campaign Go for Zero the other day, there wasn't a word about LGBTI. Greg Atkins of the Anti Violence Project wants to know why.
2: This is the Rainbow Report. What do you think?
1: And uh, this is your host, Doug Pollard, assisted by Rod Swift. Now, on Monday, Premier Ted Bailey and the Minister for Police and Emergency Services, Peter Ryan, joined Victorian Police Deputy Commissioner Graham Ashton to launch an advertising campaign called Go for Zero. And I'm going to quote what Mr Bailey said. He said the Go For Zero campaign is about the collective responsibility of everyone to speak out and reject violence in any form, particularly family violence and violence against women. But when challenged as to why the campaign had nothing to say about violence against LGBTI, that's when it started to get complicated. For example, Clem Newton-Brown, Paran Liberal MP, told me, I understand the project is a generic message rather than focusing on any particular groups. My next guest is Greg Adkins. He runs the Anti-Violence Project, and he's far from satisfied.
5: Well, you're right, Doug. (laughs) Too too far, (laughs) you're right. I mean, does does Clem understand that homophobia isn't generic? I mean, the targets of homophobia and prejudice-motivated crime aren't your heterosexual people, unless they happen to stray in, into an area and someone perceives them to be homosexual.
1: Yeah, I mean, to say that, you know, this is to cover all violence, against all violence in all its forms, and it's not targeted to any specific groups, and then the next breath to say, but we're especially interested in violence against women and children. That's kind of, you know, white man
0: speak with forked tongue, perhaps. I was going to say, Doug, and not just against women and children, the press release goes on to talk about the protective service officers obviously commuters as well, but gays and lesbians, Don't copper mention, Doug.
5: Well, if you're you're on a train and uh, someone's. Gay on a train. Gay on a train and someone. Snakes on a plane. (laughs) Exactly right. And someone actually uh, slags off at your uh, sexual identity or your gender identity, if you're intersex or trans transgender, apparently it's not, uh, we don't rate. It's not good enough to have us as part of the broad mix of violence that they say is unacceptable. So we're not part of the go for zero. Perhaps we're, we're less than zero. <laughs> I'm not sure.
1: Well, it's, it's, uh, it, they seem to be running for cover on this one, because I did try and get a government spokesperson to come on and talk about it, and I was told that Peter Ryan's travelling, and Mary Waldridge is unavailable because she's at another event this evening, and nobody mentioned where Ted Bailey was. And in the next breath I was told that as this was a police venture and not a government venture, I should perhaps get a police spokesperson. Two calls, to police media and
5: no response. Mm. And they say it's up to the police. The one they should invite <laughs> is actually the retired Justice Geoffrey Eames that did a wide ranging report into um, homophobic violence, prejudice, motivated yep. crime in the state and it's still sitting on the minister's desk. It's now two years into government. Um, I think it's cut before the horse. Had they... Digested and actually processed Geoffrey Eames' report, then maybe um, Go for Zero might have included homophobic harassment and prejudice motivated crime.
0: I was going to say, while it's sitting on the minister's desk, it sounds like Go for Zero means Go for Zero response to that report. Very good, Rod. Right. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> I know it's very, very astute today. And yeah. we have,
5: have got to say, Clem Newton Brown, and I've, I'll give them plaudits, Clem Newton Brown and Mary Wooldridge are two of the more progressive forces mm. in the state government, and, and a pat on the back to both of you for that. But that means, you know, I, I think they get it. I think Clem gets it. I think Mary gets it. But if they get it, they're not being heard within their own government. No.
0: And that's a worry. Is it because the backbench doesn't get it? The party room doesn't get it?
1: No, I think it's the, I think it's that they belong to what you might call the wet wing of the Liberal Party. And mm. they are pretty much on the outs. They get the soft ministries like, you know, health and women and those sort of things. Consumer affairs. They're not really considered important in the overall scheme
5: of things within the government. But if if they get it... The opposition hasn't had any training, or doesn't have to um, be goaded into progressive policies around prejudice, motivated crime, and homophobic harassment. They organically connect to our community and get it. I mean, I'm sure Clem and Mary do, but what about the rest of the government? Well,
1: it's not. It's not just the Bailey government as well. I mean, we have the same problem with with every time with every government. I think, which is that unless we kick and scream and shout they kind of forget to include us in the agenda. We have to keep making noise and say, excuse me, we're here, you know, we're as big a community as the Aboriginal community, we're as big a community as the uh, foreign language speakers. Um, you always seem to manage to fit them in somewhere.
5: Where are we? Why are we not there? Now, if you check out go for 0 you'll see that uh, there's a fantastic range of, of organisations that support reducing the level of violence, but not one of them is an LGBTI community group or resource. Perhaps they should have put in no for homophobia. No to homophobia is one of the resources, major resources linking back to our community.
0: Uh, I've got another question for you, Greg, and, and it's a good point you make there. Uh, in the press release as well, it says, and I'm quoting for the minister from the Minister for Women's Affairs, Mary Wooldridge, mm-hmm. the coalition government is investing in a comprehensive and complementary range of innovative prevention initiatives in schools, media, workplaces and communities. And she goes on after that. Do you think that that quote alone means that we now have the ability to bang on the door of every government department because we're a community and say schools, why aren't you doing something? Hang 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 on, you missed
1: out the important half of that statement because she went on to say that will educate about and promote respectful and non-violent relationships and gender equity. Mm. Now she was talking about men and women but Mm. I think there's a nice little crowbar in there for us.
5: And our problem is we're no longer a community. When they came to government we ceased being a community, we became an interest group. Mm. Now, our um, innate, God-given biological desire um, that we, we <laughs> woke up with when we discovered we're homosexual or gender, gender diverse or same-sex attracted. Uh, we can't help it, but that's who we are, left-handed, right-handed. They think we're actually an interest group because we have an interest in being same-sex attracted. <laughs> that's why when they mention community, we really don't fit.
1: Well, I mean, we, we don't fit in the federal government either. I mean, I've been banging on the door for ages saying, you know, why do we have a whole of government social inclusion ministry in the federal government and it doesn't include anything LGBTI? It just doesn't appear. You know, again, it's this whole bang-on-the-door thing. Uh, Going back to this press release, it says, um, the coalition government is providing strong leadership and a coordinated and integrated approach to tackling this issue. However, as the action plan states, everyone
5: has a responsibility to act. Now, we in the LGBTI community, particularly gay men, uh, around violence from the community to us, and lesbians, I suppose, with interrelationship violence, we tend not to stand up and report it. Seven out of ten people don't report the violence they experience in the gay and lesbian community. Seven out of ten. So they need to perhaps have another layer of the onion that encourages people to step up and report violence rather than just rely on Mary Wildridge's press release. And it's not there. It's nowhere in their plan. um, Apart from support from the previous government into no to homophobia... There's no enduring injection of funds into the LGBTI community.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and I don't know what we do about this because um, it does seem that if we make a noise, something happens. Um, But we... uh, we have to know that something like go for Zero is coming down the pipe before we can have input into it, and we were not consulted ahead of time. I take it because you run the Anti-Violence Project for the LGBTI community. You didn't know anything about this.
5: Well, we saw the press release on Monday. So but, that's I mean, you weren't uh, consulted on the way in. No, certainly not. And um, as f- uh, none of the r- groups that collect gay lesbian and gender-diverse communities, such as the reference groups we sit on with, the Victoria Police, but, 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 but we uh, have, n- none yeah, of them we were say, consulted. I
1: was going to say, you, ha- you, you have a relationship with the Victoria with Victorian police, we have gay and lesbian liaison officers um, how come this didn't get into the Victoria, if this is a Victoria police program and they dream the whole thing up, how come there wasn't GLBTI input into it Look,
5: We have to say there's been huge moves positively with Victoria police, they are fantastic in partnership with our community tackling prejudice, crime, homophobic harassment, it's awesome the work they've done and the growth they've had, but in this case it's the Victorian government providing resources according to this press release and the police department is another department of government. They do as their masters tell them.
0: Would you say the biggest mistake here is that Vic, Vic police have a great frontline presence and frontline response, and this is just, let's face it, policy puff that's gone wrong?
5: Well, they, they don't develop policy. They work within the government framework. No, I mean so, government policy. So it's government puff policy piece. puff, yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> just a, a press release that's designed to sound good.
1: Mm, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're probably feeling a wee bit embarrassed now and trying to find a way to sort of s- squirm out of it, which was um, what Clem's remark about, um, you know, it's about all kinds of violence and, and not just against women or not targeted any specific group. That was kind of like the, the get-out-of-jail-free card that,
5: uh, that, that got played. Well, the anti violence uh, projects are written to every one of the groups resourcing go for Zero, and we're just reinforcing and encouraging them to use the available no-to-homophobia contacts within the gay and lesbian and um, I'll be interested to see if they kind of suddenly wake up and decide,
1: no, oh, we better do a little bit of something with Greg someday soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Greg, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks, Doug Rod. Uh, and, thanks, uh, Good on you for all the work you do, by the way, while I remember to say
2: so. The Rainbow Report. News, opinion, current affairs for the Rainbow community from JOY 94.9, Australia's only full-time gay and lesbian radio station. Gay and lesbian radio station.
0: Thanks for listening to a JOYcast from JOY 94.9. Thanks for listening to another JOY podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation.